Thank you for joining me on another episode of Differently Abled with Michael Varchetto. Before we start this episode, I'd like to address a question that I've been getting quite a bit, and that is why I chose the songs I did which bookend the podcast, the first of which is called Perfect Colors. The reason I chose that song is because, at least in my opinion, what it says to me is that each person has a color, and... The world is not complete until we have all the colors. So that's why I chose that song, is that that's the point of it. And I want that uh, point of sort of exploring all the colors to have those conversations with people that don't have different abilities and those that do, so that they can each understand each other better. The uh, song at the end of my podcast is I Lived by Different... By One Republic. The reason I chose that song is because that's what I want every person who is differently abled to be able to say, that they lived their life to the fullest. They lived their life the way they wanted to do it and didn't let any opportunities pass them by. So that's why I chose those two songs, which bookend every podcast. Um, Tonight we're going to be getting a parent's perspective on what it was like having a student with differently abled from being identified up through my years into junior high and through the end of junior high. So again, for that, I'd like to introduce my mother, Janet Barchetto. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me back to be part of your podcast. And thank you all for joining us and listening to my wonderful son's podcast. Uh, Michael has asked me to talk a little bit about Uh, the process of him and his brother getting identified um, and what that was like for us as a a family and in particular what it was like for us as parents. Um, So I'm going to try and relay that to you. Um, I mean, needless to say, it was a very stressful time. We um, had the boys in second grade in a Montessori school, and the approach in the Montessori school was very different than it was in a public school setting. And their approach was they, you know, that all children arrive at mastery of skills at a different time, and not everyone arrives at mastery at the same time. And so children needed to be given their opportunity and their time to achieve um, certain goals and that they would get there. And so some of their problems weren't as apparent while they were in the Montessori school. We moved um, and moved them out of the Montessori school and put them in a public school setting in second grade. And so in that situation, in that environment, things started to become much more obvious um, because the model for the public school was, you know, when we all kind of do it the same and um, everyone achieves at the same time. And and so that was kind of the mindset at that point in time. Now we're talking probably 30 years ago, 29 years ago. Things were very different then than they are now. And so... um, 
we began noticing that Michael and Matthew were struggling with some of the basic tasks that other kids were able to do quite easily. And those being writing, reading, math, spelling, um, even some of the physical things like PE was a difficult area for Michael in particular. And so we were beginning to notice all of these things that were starting to um, lead us in the direction of searching for some answers so that we could figure out how to help our sons. We really had no idea at that point in time what was going on or what any of this meant. So it was really kind of like walking around in the dark because there wasn't any easy way to get answers. Information wasn't readily available like it is now. Um, the ability to connect with organizations and people certainly was not the same as it is today. So it took an unusually long time, or it seemed like an unusually long time for us, to start to get some answers to some of our questions um, and then try to formulate some solutions to what was going on. And so um, I remember pretty vividly in second grade, um, Michael has already mentioned um, that he has cerebral palsy. And so just the simple task, task of zipping his coat up became a monumental um, event because it was a lot of back and forth with his teacher trying to get her to provide an accommodation for him, which was, in my mind, very, very simple. Just help the kid zip his coat up so he doesn't get off the bus in the middle of the winter with his coat wide open uh, and the temperatures below zero. And so we did a lot of back and forth discussion and most of it went nowhere. And she wasn't a bad person. It's just she lacked the understanding of um, what it meant to go through life doing things differently and to have a need to have somebody provide an accommodation for you until you were able to do what you needed to do um, by yourself. And so at that point, I decided to take matters into my own hands, and that was to come up with a plan for Michael to be able to close his coat. So I sewed in some Velcro to his coat so that he could just Velcro the two sides together and get on, go out on the playground and be warm and get off the bus and not have his coat flapping open. But sort of the moral of that story is that was the beginning of the journey for us when it was starting to become apparent that um, we had ideas about our son's intellect and capabilities that other people didn't really share. And so it was surprising to me um, that people couldn't see the same things that we did, but that was the reality we were facing. And it became very frustrating for us um, to constantly be in a position of having to explain what the boys could do would do and visions we had for them. Um, so that was sort of our first introduction 
into this um, world of uh, they can't, they won't, they don't, they don't know how, um, in that we needed to get used to accepting less. And so obviously that notion wasn't setting very well with us. So we began going to conferences and workshops and reading and reading up on the law and um, doing what we needed to do on our part just simply to educate ourselves so that we could begin to help find some answers to what we were you know, living through at that point in time. So about third grade, yeah, it was third grade, uh, I had gone to a parent-teacher conference and we were sitting there, it was myself, my husband, and Michael's classroom teacher. And then suddenly during this parent-teacher conference, several people walked in that we had never met before. One was the principal, another was the special ed teacher, and another was someone that was helping Michael in the classroom. And they sat down and they had a little skinny little folder with them and began to explain to us that they felt that there was a need to test Michael and um, <clears throat> begin the process of figuring out what was going on. That they had noticed some learning issues as well and that um, they wanted our permission to do some testing to figure out what was going on. Well, at that time, as much as I wanted to know what was going on and get some answers to our questions, we were also fearful as to what this testing might find. And that perhaps school um, would have ammunition, I guess is the best way to, to put it, um, to say this is why they can't learn this way or they can't do this or they won't be successful with that. So there's a lot of mixed emotions at that point in time. And the process took way longer than we felt it should. But we also felt at that point how nice it was of these people to want to help our sons. And so um, little did we know at that moment in time that they were legally obligated to do so, but um, that's a story for later, I suppose. But a story that actually led me to the profession that I have today, which is a special education child advocate, um, going through this process with many, many families. So, we were called into a meeting and again, just the two of us and eight, 10 school folks who had tested our sons and began reading to us all of these reports that they had done. We hadn't seen the reports. It was all, you know, like might as well have been a foreign language to us at that point in time. Um, we were trying to process the information all with you know emotions running high. I can remember I just sobbed through probably 90% of the meeting. Uh, but one moment that I think probably inspired me to um, take on the position that, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong, and we're going to show you why. Um, is a moment when the special ed facilitator, or the head of special ed actually, 
leaned over to me during the meeting, put her hand on my arm, began to pat my arm, and say to me, um, my job is a very difficult job because I am in charge of telling parents that their children are broken. So just let that sink in for a minute. Um, when I heard that come out of her mouth, I thought, I'm sorry, but my children are not broken. It took a lot of restraint on my part to not say a lot of what was going on in my head. Um, but I knew at that moment in time that they had confirmed for us that they clearly were not seeing what we were seeing and that they felt that our sons were capable of very little while we felt that they were capable of doing anything that they wanted to do given the right programming and the right accommodations and the right support. So we set off on that path to um, make sure that school was doing what they needed to do. So we went and again did more conferences and through that journey determined in our mind that we had figured out what was going on for the most part with Michael and Matthew. And that was that um, what we believed to be going on was that they were dyslexic and we did some outside testing and that had been confirmed. So we brought that back to school to say, okay, our sons are dyslexic and we were told we don't use that word here. Um, and so it became, you know, a, um, a, a fight, I guess, as to what they were willing to do and not do. But we knew several things for sure. We knew that there was some training needed for some of the people that were working directly with them. Very specific training that was, um, you know, had been done for years and years and years that was, you know, um, research-based and very reliable methodologies that were going to help them improve their ability to read and spell and do all the things that they were struggling with. Um, so once I was told that they did not use the word dyslexia in meetings, I made a point of every meeting after that saying, okay, everyone, brace yourself, I'm going to use the D word. My sons are dyslexic, and we're going to sit down today to make sure that we develop a program, a plan, that addresses those needs um, that they have, that they individually have. So we developed Michael's IEP, and then beginning of fourth grade, uh, Matthew was identified, and we went through the same process and developed his IEP as well. Ironically enough, Michael and Matthew had very, very different skill sets. Um, and so what one young man could do, the other couldn't. And so in looking at their IEP goals, their goals were exactly the same. So very hard for us to understand it as parents if their uh, difficulties were in diff very different areas why their IEP should look the same. So probably about that point in time, um, we couldn't come to agreement with the school district. So we ended up filing what is called the due process, um, consequently resolved the issues without having to go to due process. 
but um, the point of all of that was to make sure that the teachers, both the classroom teacher and the special education teacher, were appropriately trained to address the needs of a dyslexic student. And that did in fact happen. And so, you know, my, my feeling was I needed to do what I needed to do for my own sons, but I also needed to do what I needed to do for those that would follow. And certainly school having more education and more training was going to improve the lives of my sons as well as those children that would follow that had similar characteristics and difficulties. Um, so his teachers got trained and they um, worked very, very hard with both of our boys to get them uh, to read. At that point in time, Michael could read pretty much nothing um, and could spell almost nothing, but could comprehend at a high school level anything that was read to him. He couldn't write a story or spell any of the words correctly, but yet he could um, go create and generate a conversation and analyze and pontificate on a variety of topics that would come out of his mouth but never, ever would appear on paper. And so those are the times when, you know, as we were going through the process, realized those were accommodations that were needed by them in order for people to really be able to see what they knew. Because I remember saying to teachers, if you let him talk and you let him tell and you let him listen, he will tell you what he knows. If you force him to put a pencil in his hand and show you, all bets will be off and you'll never know what he actually knows. So again, uh, you know, that was met with a lot of they can't, they won't, they aren't ever going to be able to. Um, and a lot of convincing on our part that they needed to invest the time um, so that they could see the results that we knew were possible because we had visions for them college, gainful employment, a, a future like any other child. Um, and little by little, school was trying to convince us that we were setting our expectations way too high and that we needed to set the bar a whole lot lower than we were willing to do, um, which never did really happen. Um, I, I will share with you a story. I call it our Rain Man story just to give you a perspective of what life was like in our house and what I'm talking about in terms of ability level. Um, we had, Michael is one of four children. So I was doing a project with our youngest daughter on the floor, lying on the floor, coloring and using markers and doing this project with her. And Michael was and Matthew were at the table working with their dad on some math problems. And the math problem was um, something about how much bigger one planet was than another planet. And he needed to figure that out. And so my husband read the problem to him. And Michael said, it's... Uh, I think it's five times bigger. 
And my husband said, yeah, right, Michael, it can't possibly be right. You didn't even sit down and figure it out. So my husband went through the process of figuring it out. All of a sudden, he looks at me, looks at Michael and says, oh my gosh, he's right. The answer is five. And at that moment, I stood up and I said, okay, that's it, Michael. Tomorrow I'm going down to City Hall and I'm changing your name to Rain Man because that was a Rain Man moment. And those are the moments that would happen all the time. Those are the moments that I saw, but school wanted to see, show me, put it on paper. And Michael could never do that. His answers were accurate, but he never, ever, ever could show the work. He could show the work if somebody did the writing for him. But if he was in charge of the writing, the numbers could be reversed. It could be a positive number graphed on a uh, graph or a number line going towards the negative. I mean, there were a variety of things that would go wrong in the process. So that was our um, Rain Man moment where we began to really realize how intelligent the boys were and how little school was understanding what was actually going on with them. Um, I also remember in fourth grade, Michael had a teacher who I wasn't sure was a good teacher for him, the right teacher for him. I was pretty confident that um, that particular teacher was not a good match for his learning style. So I had my husband go in and observed that classroom. And he came home and he said, you know, he really is a very, very good teacher. And I think that he does a really good job for Michael. Um, I think that you two need to maybe have a sit down and understand each other a little bit better. And that's exactly what happened. We did. And um, he actually, in reality, ended up being probably one of the best teachers Michael has ever had. Um, he made me realize and helped me understand that some of the things that I had been insisting upon um, were getting in Michael's way. And that if I would let go of some of those, I probably would be seeing a lot uh, more productivity and so he actually ended up being more on my side than I had anticipated. Um, I remember having a conversation with him where he told me that if I would just allow Michael to put the pen down um, and or put the pen in my hand and I would just listen and write for him, we would be able to get much more from him. And I let go of the notion at that moment that, you know, his penmanship needed to be perfect and said, just tell me, just explain, just tell me. And I, he would talk to me and tell me what, you know, his answers to questions were, and I became a scribe. And that allowed the teachers to then begin to see that that accommodation, one, was very much necessary, and two, um, that Michael knew a lot more than he could show them. And so probably by the time we were ready to leave to go to uh, middle school, 
we had a pretty good relationship with the school, um, with his teachers in the building. He had a fabulous special ed teacher who actually um, went and observed him and his brother at some of their tutoring sessions, went and got herself trained in some of the methods that the boys needed, and uh, was probably the biggest champion for the two of them. And we greatly appreciated her and uh, were sad to, to have to leave her to move on to middle school. But um, So the process over time got a lot easier with the grade school. And then the great unknown was sitting in front of us and that was the middle school. And what was that going to look like? And teachers were different and they didn't know the boys and uh, would they understand and we felt like we needed to start the process over. And so we went to middle school um, needing to continue their reading program that they were doing at the elementary school, which the middle school did not have anyone trained. And um, so the elementary school sent over someone who had been trained to the middle school every single day to work with Michael and Matthew on their reading program. And they were uh, able to finish that in uh, by the end of sixth grade. And things were starting to get a little bit better in terms of teachers and their understanding of what was going on. But every once in a while, there'd be those moments where I'd sort of hear something or get a, um, a reply from a teacher via an email or something that was, um, you know, made me sort of stop for a moment and say, yeah, I don't think she gets it or he gets it. And I remember one in particular situation in middle school where um, Michael and Matthew had worked very, very, very hard to study for a test. And, you know, we were all nervous about what was going to happen and how well they would do. And um, they both did actually very, very well with the test. And I happened to be in the the middle school for I don't even know what the reason was. And one of his teachers stopped me and said, um, Mrs. Varchetto, I um, wanted to let you know that the boys did very, very well on that test, and I was quite surprised um, and quite pleased by how they did. But um, they, you know, I was, I was not anticipating them doing as well as they did. And I said, well, they worked very, very hard. We studied for many hours, and... Um, they knew this was important, and I'm sure they did their best. And she walked away, very kind lady, very sweet lady, and it was her way of telling me that she was proud of my sons. But, of course, what I heard in my head was, oh, pretty darn good for those kids who, you know, expectations are low for. Um, and I think it was the first time she ever got a true glimpse of what we had been saying um, and that was that, you know, given accommodations, given the right situation and the right support, they will show you that they're quite capable of doing what everyone else can. It may not look the same. It may not come out in the same way. But the capability is there. And you just need to believe it's there 
so that you can find it. And so um, middle school, you know, it, it depending on the teacher and, and who was involved, um, it, we had our ups and downs, but I would say for the most part, um, they were receptive and very willing to um, help the boys in any way they could. I remember a situation with Michael's twin, Matthew, um, where he was in a round-robin discussion in a social studies class. And he needed to give a, a fact, read it off of a card, and then listen to the other people who were also uh, giving their comments. And if someone said one of the things that he had on his card, he could not use, he could no longer use it. Well, I had told you earlier that Matthew had a pretty significant language processing disorder. So this whole round-robin discussion stopped him dead in his tracks, and he literally could not say and did not say one word during the round-robin discussion. He came home that day feeling very defeated, very upset. I got a phone call from his teacher who said to me, I know that he knows, and he was prepared. I saw his cards, and I know that he could do better than he did in the round-robin discussion. She said, so here's what we're going to do. I have sent him with some questions. I want you to ask him the questions, and I want you to record his answers. And then I want you to send that uh, tape to me so that I can listen, and I will grade him based on how he answered those questions. Because I know that he studied and I know that he knows more than he was able to show us today. And for me, that was the ultimate goal, is for somebody to look at my sons, believe in them, and say, how do I think outside this box to make sure that they can show me how they can shine? And she did that. And I was very, very grateful to her. Um, I, I just, you know, one of the feelings, and I still say this today to many of the families that I talk to, I always wished I was the parent at the corner that didn't know what the science project was. Because I was the one parent at the corner that if my child were absent that day, I could go and present the science project to the classroom. And other moms would be, like, what science project? What are you talking about? And I just wanted to be that mom for such a long time that had no idea <laughs> whose kid came home and just did their homework and just, you know, got their grades and and uh, things were simple. But I think, and I know and I believe, that much of what went on was the training ground for me so that I could do the profession that I do today was to have a, you know, front seat to what it was like for my sons to do things differently um, and to help them fight to show their capabilities and um, what decisions they needed to make for themselves to get to the outcomes they wanted to get to. Which brings me to, um, I think, probably seventh grade when Michael began telling us that he wanted to attend his IEP meetings. 
which seemed like a very good idea at the time. His brother then also would attend, but his brother never wanted to speak. Uh, but he would sit, he would listen, he would learn, he would, you know, shake his head. But Michael would go in with his own agenda and outline and, um, you know, tell them what he thought would be the best things for him and explain to them that this was about him and that he needed to be part of the process, like it or not. Um, and so from that moment on, both boys were included in their meetings. We would write down and help develop um, notes for them so that they could um, speak to the adults in the room and express what they thought their needs were and what the best way to um, work on things would be for them and what accommodations they, be they would benefit from. So then we survived middle school fairly well. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the next thing that we were um, about to face was high school. But during the middle school eighth grade year, we had to have a meeting, a transition meeting with the high school. And I can remember then sitting there at those meetings and the high school folks explaining to us again what classes our sons should take, what classes were appropriate for them, and the classes that they had chosen for them were the lower track classes, simply based on the fact that they were both identified as having specific learning disabilities. And it's then that we again knew <laughs> that we would be going through this process all over again, trying to convince other people that they were going to college, they were very intelligent, and that they needed just to listen and understand and see. Um, so that's, you know, our, our experience with middle school. And then I suppose we'll talk more later about the high school environment. But again, just that continuous ongoing need to explain and re-explain and re-explain that they were capable, that they could do, that they needed to listen and understand and look through uh, a different lens, if it were, to um, see what we were seeing. And we knew that the boys would eventually end up getting where they wanted to be. Um, so thank you very much for listening. And um, thank you, Michael. And we will talk some